goodest of good days, podcast pals, and welcome to another week here at Discontent Provider, the show that occasionally stumbles over some vaguely relevant socio-political insights, hosted by a cat who more than occasionally stumbles over a curbstone, and a dog who never puts a foot wrong. Poor would obviously have been a better word than foot in that context, of course, but sadly it simply doesn't work out loud. I mean to say, applying a common conversational trope used for people to an animal isn't exactly groundbreaking comic invention anyway, but if you consider how awkward the uh, phrase putting a paw wrong sounds, the whole thing simply becomes an unworkable mess. It might just about cause an indulgent twitch of the lips of an unusually forgiving reader were it to be written down, but as I think I've amply demonstrated out loud, the game simply wasn't worth the candle. Uh, I like to think that it is this sort of attention to even the smallest detail of both content and presentation that is what keeps the discriminating listener coming back to discontent provider, you know. Although I, I could be wrong, and maybe it's mostly the swearing and the songs, not all of which sound entirely the same by any manner of means. You know, it can be dashed hard for any kind of creative or performer to know for certain which of their choices will bring the light of pleasure and or understanding into the multitudinous eyes of the many-headed monster that is the audience. And that's as true for those looking to get a podcast off the ground as it is for those that are hoping to seize or maintain control of a nation's destiny and subject it to a long, hard governing. Some choices are fairly clear, of course. The most obvious example being that of sticking to the hits and giving the punters what they've enjoyed in the past. Just as Taylor Swift would, despite her fanbase's near total devotion, be unwise not to include Shake It Off in a set, no political figure can ever go too far wrong by appealing to an electorate's enthusiasm for economic prosperity, even if it doesn't actually trickle down to them, oddly enough, and a reassurance that their great country, almost certainly the greatest of all great countries that have ever been or could ever be, will be safe not only from the fiendish machinations of whichever skulking horde of godless foreign villains they're accustomed to disliking and distrusting, but also from any outgroup that can, with minimal effort, be cast in the unenviable role of the enemy within. This seems to be what we may be seeing from our uh, charming Chancellor this week as he limbers up his smugness muscles for his autumn statement. Last week, after all, was all a little much, some might say. Violent confrontations, followed by the axing of a main character, who, while not universally popular, was the driver of major narratives and captured the viewer's interest, and the shock return of a major cast member from yesteryear, was all rather reminiscent of a soap opera going all out to set up something super spesh in time for the Christmas ratings war. Or, come to think of it, the concluding episode of Jodie Whittaker's Tenancy of the TARDIS in Doctor Who, in which she regenerated, or perhaps one would say re-regenerated, into David Tennant. Now, admittedly, it's hard to draw too many direct parallels twixt a tousle-haired time-traveller with a boyish air of reckless enthusiasm and a spam-faced old Etonian with a deeply off-putting sense of entitlement, but uh, I trust my point is well taken. Uh, last week saw big doings, but no ongoing story can be all good doings. It's exhausting for everyone involved, so now the government, like EastEnders or Coronation Street, will gently apply the brakes for a while perhaps, and we can all catch our breath with a spot of business as usual. 
judiciously spiced here and there with just enough Covid inquiry disclosures about barely credible depths of incompetence or some culture war subplots about woke nativity scenes, just enough to keep the audience from nodding off. Thus, there is little, according to experienced pundits, particularly surprising in store from Mr Hunt's upcoming report on the schemes and jolly japes he has in store for us. For a start, he's going with the tried-and-tested teaser trailer of saying it will be an autumn statement for growth. Classic stuff, to be sure. In fact, there has yet to be a Chancellor who has actively promoted a budget as a fiscal nightmare that will see us all in penury before the week's out. Such sensationalism might bring in big ratings, but on the whole, he's doubtless wise to stick to a winning formula. For all that, however, he's been coyly suggesting that there might be a few little tricks up his sleeve, because, uh, as we're all aware, the economy has been doing so utterly spiffingly neath his stern stewardship, there might be just enough jingle in the public purse to fund some tax cuts to help hard-working Britishers deal with the cost of living. It's unclear as to what these might be, though many feel that the hard-working Britishers most likely to feel Jeremy's warmth and generosity are those hapless drudges who really do put in the hours and go the extra mile as they wait for their parent to die. Fair enough, one has to say, and if one is to go to all that effort of outliving somebody, old, uh, with many of them visiting care homes for anything up to three times a year, they absolutely should receive a legacy not decimated by inheritance tax. On the other hand, because the state of the nation's finance is so frightfully parlous, even though it's going great, you understand, some people are going to have to tighten their belts and cop for a firm punch up the wallet. There are some that may object to the notion of those who are are coping with long-term sickness being made to pull out their fingers, get back to work and pay for their own dashed medicine, but they're scarcely being reasonable, eh? What? Times are tough, although they rarely look better. If those afflicted with long Covid find it that much of a chore, they shouldn't have made such a ghastly hash of handling the coronavirus pandemic, should they? allowing the Cheltenham Festival and an international football match to go ahead in Liverpool in the same month uh, that continental Europe first started displaying signs of widespread infection. What were they thinking? Actions, after all, have consequences. A useful and instructive moral precept, even if the consequences in question don't always align perfectly with those who took the initial actions. As I say, following last week's frenzied season finale of a political week, we seem to be returning to the cosily familiar, the predictable and the reassuringly formulaic. Politics and TV at its best. Even Nigel Farage's fearless expedition into the jungle, where he will be confronted by not just snakes and big fucking spiders, but actual living Geordies, isn't exactly ripping up the rule books or smashing the ancient shibboleths of broadcasting. By paying him more than they have ever paid a contestant before and excusing him from the grislier trials and challenges, the I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here producers are playing it pretty safe and sticking to a well-established script. To wit, Monsieur Farage gets oodles of publicity, trousers a substantial wedge of legal tender and never runs any real risk of getting his hands dirty. Anything. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, eh, cats and kittens? We'll be back later in the week, maybe Wednesday or maybe Friday. To be perfectly honest, we're still tinkering with our format. Until we reconvene, however, cheerio.